congregation, I may teach you God's word this afternoon. As the church has summarized it and confesses it in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 3. And let us read the three questions and answers of this Lord's Day. There we confess together as church, did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No, on the contrary, God created man good and in his image that is in true righteousness and holiness so that he might rightly know God, his creator, heartily love him and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. From where then did man's depraved nature come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise? For there our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we're totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. And so far, the Catechism. And after the teaching of God's Word, let us respond in song. Let us sing from Psalm 51, the stanzas 1, 2, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our beginnings. What do we believe concerning our beginnings? Did we have sinful beginnings? Or did God give us spotless beginnings? Today, the teaching about our beginnings has once again become a source of controversy even our own Reformed churches, the truth is summarized in this Lord's Day comes under increasing attack as people doubt the plain truth of Holy Scriptures. Some would have us believe that God used evolution to bring this present world into existence. Would have us believe that there were people before Adam and that there was death before the fallen sin in paradise. And yet they would like us to still also believe that this does not affect our teaching of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. But let us realize that such teaching of, of theistic evolution has implications for our salvation. For if death has no basis in sin as they claim, but was there before the fall, then what is the role of Jesus Christ as our Savior? As we read there in Romans 5, verse 17, he came to bring righteousness and life to those who died because they are descendants of the one man, Adam. And so when those who believe in this theory of theistic evolution reject what the Bible teaches us about our first beginnings, they also undermine the foundation and leads to rejection of other important doctrines of faith. And before you know it, you are left doubting the miracle of Christ's resurrection and the blessing of our second beginnings. And so, beloved, this afternoon, let us turn to the truth of God's infallible word for what we believe concerning our beginnings does matter. And so God's word then comes to you this afternoon. As the church has summarized it and confesses it in, in Lord's Day 3 under this theme, 
our first as well as our second beginning are the good work of our holy God. And we will look at three things. First, our spotless beginning. Second, our subsequent sinful beginning. And third, our second beginning. I repeat, our first as well as our second beginning are the good work of our holy God. We'll look at first at our spotless beginning, then at our subsequent sinful beginning, and then lastly at our second beginning. Beloved, the question before us this afternoon is why? Why are we the way we are? Why are we sinful creatures? Is this how God our Father, the Creator, made you and me? Did God create man so wicked and perverse, so the Catechism says? Now, there are people who, by the way they talk, would answer, yes, this is the way God made me. I think of certain homosexuals who say in defense of their lifestyle, well, there's nothing wrong with me. This is the way God made me. But is this really how God made us all in the very beginning? Sinful, wicked, and perverse? Is it, after all, really God's fault that we are such miserable, sinful creatures? You see what people are doing? They're trying to shift the blame to God for, for our sinful beginnings. As if God did a crummy job creating mankind and, for that matter, the rest of this world. But did God create us this way? Did he create us wicked and perverse? And, beloved, the answer is emphatic. No. From God's word, beloved, it is clear that he created man good and in his image in true righteousness and holiness. Basically, God our Father gave mankind a truly spotless or holy beginning. Mankind was created by our Father in the very beginning without sin, without defect, without any corruption. And where do we know this from? From the word, from Genesis 1. For what does it say after each day of creation? Each of those six days, we're told God saw that it was very good. Also, after the creation of mankind, after the creation of Adam and Eve, we're told again, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Very good. When God makes something good, there is no sin, there is no corruption in it at all. That's how he made us. But there's more. As it says in Scripture, we read it there in Genesis 1, he made us in his image, in his likeness. Yes, we are made to be like God. Now, sometimes you hear the expression, well, isn't that young girl a, a spitting image of her mother, or is that young boy not a spitting image of his father? It means she looks and acts just like her mother, or he looks and acts just like his father. And anyone can tell that the young boy or girl came from and belongs to his father or mother. Well, beloved, in the same way we have also been created, we have been, you can say, created in the spitting image of God. Now, we're not talking here about his physical image, as if God has a body like we do. No, we're talking spiritually. Besides, no one has ever seen God. 
Now, when we're created to be God's image, we're created to show his characteristics, his attributes, created in righteousness and holiness and wisdom and love and so forth. Yes, as God is holy, we are to be holy. As God is righteous, we are to be righteous. And so we are to be like him in this way. And for what purpose, for what task, for what office? So that, as we read it there in Genesis 1, so that we might rule over God's creation. That we might be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Yes, to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Yes, to be created in the image of God means we've been appointed by God to be his representative here on earth, to rule over this earth. As the psalmist says there in Psalm 8, you made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and birds of the air and fish of the sea, all that swims the paths of the sea. This man was made sovereign over all creation, made to rule over all things on God's behalf. Yeah, beloved, the truth of God's spotless beginnings for mankind is under serious attack, even in our reformed circles. There are those who, who make the claim that man, Adam, is not the works of God's hands on the sixth day. They also claim that each day is mentioned there in Genesis 1 is not a literal day, but each day represents millions, if not billions, of years. They claim that this universe did not come into existence by God simply speaking over a short period of time, over six days, but they say this earth is the result of a big bang which brought this universe into existence from nothing. They claim a tiny ball of incredibly dense matter the size of your fists perhaps exploded and all the galaxies and stars and suns and planets came forth from that great explosion and that the earth is one of the masses flung out by that explosion. And on that earth, yes, conditions slowly change and by chance the most basic form of life in the form of a single cell suddenly came into existence out of an organic lifeless soup. And from this very basic cell life has evolved into more complex forms of life. And so we have evolution over billions of years. There's an evolution of, of worms into simple sea creatures. And in turn, they evolve into fish and fish into amphibians and amphibians into reptiles and reptiles into birds and into other mammals. And then, of course, this all took millions of years and finally man evolved from the monkeys and the apes. And for this kind of, of evolution to happen, you need death. Part of the theory of evolution is that there will be death the weaker kinds of life are killed off or they die off and the stronger kinds of life they survive they prosper after all evolution is the theory of the survival of the fittest and so all kinds of life are evolving towards perfection and so they also claim that adam was born yes then to nearly fully human creature nearly full human creatures is one step on the chain of evolution. And yet, what does God's word say? It says it so very clearly. What did we read there in Genesis 1, Genesis 2? 
The Lord God created this world out of nothing. God spoke on each day and various parts of his glorious and perfect creation came into being. God our Father made the sun and the moon and the stars, the earth, the waters, the trees, the birds, the mammals. And he did this by separate creative acts. So dog was created separately from a cow or a pig. For as we read, God created each creature according to its kind. And so there was this truly wonderful diversity of animals and birds and fish there already in the very beginning. There are more creatures than we have in the world today. Considering that certain kinds of animals have gone extinct since the fall and the great flood. And as we were told, there was all very good. And so there was no one kind of animal evolving into another kind of animals. Dogs did not evolve into cats or pigs into horses. No, God made each one according to its kind. Sure, within the kind called dogs, we have different breeds of dogs. But as we can have all different breeds of dogs, they all remain dogs. They don't ever become cats. And no matter how many fossils you look at, you will not find the missing link where the dog is becoming a cat. And the same is also true of us as mankind. They're looking for that fossil, that one that shows there's a missing link. And yet the truth is, how did God create mankind? How did he make Adam? He formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And yes, it's from the rib of Adam, he also then in the same day made Eve. And we get a very clear description there in Genesis 2, how he created Adam and Eve on the sixth day. And what is described there is nothing mythical, nothing figurative, as some would have us believe. What is described there is real history. Adam was the first of all humanity created by God our Father. And we read it there in Romans. Adam is mentioned as the first of mankind. And further, beloved, there was no death in this world before the fall into sin. The world of Genesis 1 and 2 is a world without sin and a world without death. Sure, there in Genesis 2, verse 17, God warned our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the day of you, you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Beloved, death only entered God's perfect world through man's fall into sin. There was no death before the fall of mankind in paradise. That's what we also read in Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Now, there are those who call themselves Christians who dispute what we read here in Genesis 1 and 2. Many claim that this is not truly historical. They say no human witnessed the creation of the world and everything in it. And really what we have here, they say we cannot take it literally. And many claim that Genesis 1 and 2 are, are pure myth. Others claim that Genesis 1 is poetic. What we have here is a very beautiful poetic construction which is not intended, yes, to convey, yes, actual events in history in time. 
Now, beloved, the plain reading of Genesis 1 clearly indicates he has a chronological order of days detailing the events of what God did, calling, yes, creation into being. And besides, beloved, there is no indication that Genesis 1 and 2 are myth and the rest of the book is history. Where do you say is that separation? No, beloved, what we have before us, starting in Genesis 1, verse 1, is real history. Their narrative, yes, all narrative telling us his story is God's story like the rest of the book, conveying to us real historical events. And we must go, beloved, by what God has written in Genesis about creation. He gives us there a true historical account of our spotless beginnings. And let us simply believe God's word of truth. As it says there in Hebrews 11 verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. By faith we believe this. But having said all that then, where then did our depraved nature come? If it didn't come from God, our Father, the Creator, where did it come from? And that brings us to our second point. Our subsequent sinful beginnings. Yes, our sinful beginnings came later. They came after God gave us our spotless beginnings. As Lord's Day 3 makes clear, our depraved nature, our fallen nature, our sinful nature comes from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. And you read about that in the next chapter in Genesis, Genesis 3. And so, yes, we've got to go back again to, to paradise, to the beginning, to know about our sinful beginnings. For remember when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, you may freely eat of the tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day you do that, you shall surely die. And that's exactly what Adam did. He disobeyed God's express command. And he sinned. It's the first sin. That's what we call original sin. And because of Adam's first sin, God is true. He is faithful to his word. When God says something, he means it. And he said, you eat of the tree, you shall die. And he indeed then punished Adam with death. God came with this curse, not just on the serpent, but also on Adam and Eve, and, and for that matter, on the entire universe. And so everything and everyone was subject to decay and to death. Now, you might be wondering, what does Adam and Eve's sin there in paradise have to do with us today? What's the connection? I wasn't there in paradise when they did this, really. How can this original sin be, be connected to any of us living so many years later? Oh, beloved, there is a connection. You see that connection already in this Lord's Day, Lord's Day 3. And the answer to the catechism's question from where then does man's depraved nature come? And you hear, yes, from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, imperatives from there. Our nature became so corrupt that we were all conceived and born in sin. You see, this answer in the Lord's Day goes from Adam and Eve directly to us, our nature. There is a connection, beloved. And what is then exactly that connection? Well, we all indeed share in the sin of Adam. 
Remember, Adam and Eve are our first parents. We're all descendants of Adam and Eve. You trace your family tree, and we all do that. We all end up back at Adam and Eve. The entire human race descends from Adam and Eve, not from the monkeys, not from the apes. Really, we're all family of one another. All trace our ancestry back to Adam and Eve. And as our first parents, Adam and Eve, then were sinful. And sinful parents have sinful children, and they in turn have sinful children. And we have this sinful nature, yes, from the very moment we are conceived in our mother's womb. So you sing later on in Psalm 51. I realize, but there's more here. You need to see who Adam really was. The legal representative of all mankind. That's what Adam, the name Adam means. It means man or mankind. And so when he sinned, we all sinned with him. Think of it in this way, beloved. Adam represents all mankind just as, say, Stephen Harper represents all Canadians. He may not even have voted for Stephen Harper's government, yet when he goes abroad on a trip, he goes on this trip as a representative of all Canadians. He, he often speaks this way too. He says it so nicely, on behalf of all Canadians. Well, so it is with Adam. What he did in the garden, eating of the tree of which God said, do not eat, he did on our behalf. We're all represented in that way. And you might say, well, that sounds all wonderful, but where do you get that from? Well, we get that from God's word. We get that from Romans 5. He read from Romans 5. Verse 12, what do we read there? Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin, remember the punishment of God for sin is death, in this way death came to all men because all sinned. There you have it. Adam represented all mankind. Adam sinned, we all sinned. And you read the same in, in a few verses that follow. Verse 18, consequently, just as a result of one trespass, that is, Adam's trespass, was condemnation for all men. For all men. One man's trespass, condemnation for all men. And then you read the same in, in verse 19. For just through disobedience of the one man, that is, that is Adam, the many were made sinners. So we're represented by our first father. In Adam we all sinned. In Adam we all died. But even more important, beloved, let us not forget why Romans 5 mentions our fallen Adam. The Apostle Paul wrote about the first Adam because he wanted to direct us to salvation in Jesus Christ, the last Adam. For remember, as in Adam all die, so in Christ, that is the last Adam, the second Adam, all will be made alive. Both Adams were representative. Just listen to what we read in Romans 5, verse 15. For in the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? 
And again, in, in, in another verse, in verse 17, for if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the right gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? And again, in, in verse 19, for just as through the disobedience of the one man many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man many will be made righteous. You get this wonderful contrast here between the first and the last Adam, and we need indeed to be directed towards the second Adam to Jesus Christ. Is how badly we need that last Adam, our Lord and Savior. This Lord's Day makes very clear. We're in desperate need of a Savior. For with the fall of our first parents, our nature has become so corrupt that we're all conceived and born in sin. This is the truth about each and every one of us. And we know this again from God's word, from what we will sing afterwards from Psalm 51. Surely we are sinful at birth, sinful from the time of our conception in our mother's wombs. Yes, we're sinful already then, in the very beginnings of our lives, in the very core of our being, in our hearts. Let's get this right, beloved. Our fundamental problem is not bad parents or bad school or bad friends or bad circumstances in life. But we like to blame these other things for the horrible mess we are in. Our fundamental problem is with us, with our bad hearts, our sinful hearts, our corrupted natures. Realize we do not become sinners when we start to imitate our parents and others. That's what the heretic Pelagius taught. He taught that everyone was conceived and born holy and innocent. And we only become sinful by copying, by imitating what others do. And he said, yes, sin is only by, by imitation. But beloved, sin is more than a matter of imitation. Our entire nature is corrupted from sin and from the very beginnings. Totally depraved from conception onwards. You might be wondering, well, is it really that bad with us? And the catechism asks that. But are we so corrupt that we're totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? And the answer is yes. We are totally depraved. Oh, it doesn't mean that we're bad all the time or as bad as we possibly can be. That's what we call absolute depravity. We're not talking here about absolute depravity. We're talking here about total depravity. This means we are depraved, we are corrupted totally throughout our total, our entire being, through our bodies, our hearts, our wills, our minds. Every aspect, every part of our being has been affected by sin. We're stubborn in our wills darkened in our understanding and of our minds. We are hardened and deceitful in our hearts. We are weak and sick in our bodies. There's lots of bad news, you might think. But there's also good news. There is hope. There is a second beginning by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that brings us to our last point. Yes, our first beginnings were truly spotless. God made us good. He made us in his image in true righteousness and holiness. But with the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, we became sinful. Have sinful beginnings. And we see in our children are conceived and born in sin, subject to all sorts of misery, even to condemnation. 
We read that earlier there in the form for baptism. And that we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again, unless we are regenerated, unless we have a second beginning. But how is this second beginning, this second birth, this rebirth possible? Well, through Jesus Christ, the last Adam. It is he who dealt decisively with all our sins, our original sin, as well as our actual sins. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the penalty for sin, which God had set there in the very beginning in paradise. Remember what God had said, in the day you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. Someone needed to die. And Jesus Christ, <coughs> yes, he died. He died for our sins. All our sins. But he more than he did more, beloved, than just pay the penalty for sin. He also did what the first Adam failed to do. He also kept the commands in God in full. He was truly obedient in all his ways throughout his life here on earth. And as we read it there in Romans 5, so also through the obedience of one man, the man Jesus Christ, the many will be made righteous. And so, yes, we stand righteous. We stand just before God by faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Yes, thankfully, our Savior gives us his spirit of rebirth, his spirit of regeneration. For, yes, we must be given a new heart, a clean heart, so that we may actually believe in God and serve him. We must be regenerated, or to put it in different words, we need to be converted, we need to be changed, and we need to be changed from the inside out. We need a complete change of heart. We need to be regenerated from within. And realize this regeneration is the work of God alone. This regeneration is powerfully worked in us by God the Spirit and realize that God's work of, of regeneration is, is not inferior in power to his work of creating or to his work of raising his son Jesus from the dead. And so we are regenerated. So that we might once again know God, just rightly know him, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. So that, yes, we might once again be the image of our God in this world. So that we might, yes, once again rule over his creation and subdue it. So that we might once again, yes, serve for the coming of his kingdom. In all its glory, in all its splendor. Amen. <laughs>